Welcome to another episode of the Nourishing Africa podcast. Today, we are bringing you the first podcast this year, and we're starting with a very interesting topic, nutrition as a center stage for food innovation. With recent events across the globe, including the coronavirus pandemic, it has become imperative that food innovation be the driving force to improve global nutrition. It is no longer only about how much food we can produce, but also about the quality of the food to be produced. Feeding Africa's 2.4 billion is greatly dependent on ecosystem innovations that contribute to the availability of healthy, nutritious food for the African population. To drive this conversation, we're joined by Kaupana and Brida from Scythe and Lali Foundation. Hi, Brida. Hi, Kaupana. Thank you so much for joining us on this podcast episode. Thank you. We're delighted to be here. So please tell us more about your organization and both your roles within the organization before we go right into the conversation. So Sight Life is a nutrition think tank and we're based in Switzerland, but we have a global reach. We have colleagues in Ghana, Rwanda, India and South America. At Sight and Life, we use science to change the way nutrition is delivered to those who need it most. And we focus in three main areas to do this. Translating the science and simplifying it, building partnerships for nutrition, and lastly, developing social business models that help demonstrate that good nutrition can also mean good business. My name is Brida Gavin-Smith, and I'm the Global Public Health Nutritionist at Sight and Life, and my background is as a nutrition scientist. I manage our public health nutrition portfolio, which includes projects in Ghana and Rwanda, as well as many other countries. And I also manage many of the partnerships we have at the foundation, including with UNICEF and the World Food Programme. Over the past 20 years, I worked as a nutrition specialist in the public sector, the private sector, and within NGOs, mainly with the focus of bringing key actors together to create solutions to end malnutrition. And it's really this engagement piece is uh, something that I feel very passionate about, particularly in the current global nutrition context, which we'll get a chance to talk about later. Hi, thank you for having us on Nourishing Africa podcast series. My name is Kalpana Bisabatuni and I'm responsible for technology and entrepreneurship domain at Sight and Life. I'm an agricultural and food engineer and trained in business management. For 16 years, uh, I worked both in the public and the private sector. And of those years, I spent over a decade in advancing business models for public health as a scholar, entrepreneur, investor, and practitioner. Thank you so much, Albrida and Kalpana. And, you know, it is really interesting for us right here because at Nourishing Africa, we work with our members who are entrepreneurs in the agri-food landscapes and our members are doing various things across the continent, um, trying to nourish the continent with their various food innovations. Uh, this is the right time for a conversation on how these entrepreneurs can step up their business models to include and incorporate food systems innovation that centers around nutrition. Which actually brings me to the question, so why is food systems innovation important for nutrition right now? Well, I think we have big challenges to meet in both human health and also planetary health. 
and innovation in the food system will be critical, um, particularly if we are to change how and what we eat on a broad scale. I think first it's important to say that there has been huge progress in nutrition. We've seen the number of people who are hungry fall from 15% to just over 10% between 2000 and 2015. We've seen progress in undernutrition, where a child's uh, stunting, which is a children who are too short for their age, has dropped from 40% to 23% between 1990 and 2015. The food system, when we talk about it, when we refer to the food system, it's about the people and the activities that play a part in growing, transporting, supplying, and ultimately eating food has had an important role in this advancement. But this has been accompanied with a, with a focus on quantity rather than quality, which you mentioned earlier, when it comes to the food produced and made available and affordable for consumers in Africa. Increase again in world hunger. Too many children are still undernourished. Two billion adults are overweight or obese. These different forms of malnutrition have become some of the leading causes of disease and mortality in Africa. And from a planet perspective, our current food system is using 85% of the world's fresh water and contributing one fifth of all greenhouse gas emissions. So technical innovations that can aid nature positive production of foods or indeed government policies that eliminate subsidies for nutrient poor foods and provide incentives to produce more nutritious foods are examples of innovation that can have real impact. What we should also not forget when we talk about innovations is that it should be available and accessible and affordable in the areas that need it most. And it should not be a global north solution, but work in the country context in Nigeria or Rwanda or Malawi, for example. And this is really at the heart of the work we do at Sight and Life, which is supporting innovations that address the real needs at a country level, creating context driven solutions. Thank you so much, Brida, for that amazing insight. And then it actually calls to my attention just how much we need to do as stakeholders acting in the agriculture and food landscapes to actually improve the nutrition status across the continent and even across the globe. So I would ask what key projects and activities are currently being driven by Sight and Life in the African nutrition sphere, uh, particularly, and what are the early impacts you're beginning to see right now? So I think I'll, I'll maybe mention one, one project that we call Obasima, and, and I know Kalpana also will, will share um, examples from, from the work that she's, she's focused on. So Obasima is something we're very proud of at, at Sight and Life. Why? I think because in 2017, when we started it, it was one of the first initiatives that really took a market-based approach to address a nutrition problem, which was at the time micronutrient deficiencies in young women in Ghana. And it also worked across the food chain, not just in one area. It went from production to supply to demand creation. So we developed a distinctive front of pack seal, which was the Obasana seal. And this meant that the products with this seal guaranteed nutrition quality. It was easy to identify fortified food products that had the source of vitamins and minerals that was designed specifically for women of reproductive age. And interestingly, from an impact perspective, what we're starting to see is that making a more nutritious product available on the market has created new business opportunities for SMEs in Ghana, but also importantly has increased their knowledge and know-how in developing and bringing more nutritious foods to the market. 
This is not only good for the consumer, but it's also good for business. We're also seeing the potential for a good return on investment with these types of partnerships compared to other direct government-led nutrition interventions. We've seen other innovations that have organically emerged from this work. Um, one area particularly is this area we're working on in Sight and Life, which is defining what we mean by a healthy food in the context of an emerging economy. And this knowledge will support SMEs in the future in their product development. And this is something that we really lacked when we began Obasana and started to develop food products. Lastly, and really importantly for the nutrition area, because it's something that we're not very good at, we've gained consumer insights on this target group who are a key recipient of nutrition interventions. So we know that improving women's nutrition status has long-term positive impacts for mother and baby, which in turn helps in the cycle of poverty that we see when women are undernourished and disempowered. And from a, talking as a public health professional, people within the public health sphere are really poor at really understanding the consumer and what they want and how we can actually get them to change their behavior. And this is key if we want to create demand for more nutritious foods. And maybe I'll hand over to Kalpana to, to share an example from, from her work. Great, thanks, Brida. Obasama is an excellent example of why at Sight and Life, we just don't stop at R&D. In all of our initiatives, we are constantly looking at ways to scale a product or a service. For a product or any process innovation to succeed in the marketplace, one needs to also innovate in its business model. I'll give you an example of one of our key initiatives in East Africa from Malawi. In Malawi, we have an enterprising partner, a feed miller, and they established a successful business model that has made a transformative leap in poultry productivity by transitioning backyard farming to small-scale farming. We call this the egg hub. You know, as you know, in most parts of Africa, only one to four eggs are available for a person in a week and eggs are eight to times more expensive than the starchy staples. And the only way to change the situation is to transform the predominant backyard poultry to small-scale farms. So that way we can increase the supply of eggs and eventually lower its prices. So the Egg Hub is designed as a centralized unit providing high-quality, affordable inputs, extension services, training, and market access to small farms. The hub aggregates a group of five smallholders, mostly women, to manage one farm, producing 500 to 1,000 eggs a day. And we see that the farms have achieved self-sufficiency in three years. Farmers make three times more income. And in the communities around the hub, there are two times more eggs than before, at 20% lower prices. And all of this is because of the hub approach, which impacted the laying hens productivity from an average of 40 eggs per bird in the backyard situation to more than 250 eggs per bird, per bird. And that we see as an outstanding result. So the examples of Obasima, the breeder had explained, and the egg hub demonstrate how impactful the right kind of efforts can be on SMEs, the livelihoods they support and food systems. And to enable more of this sort of targeted investment all along the value chain, Saturn Life, together with a range of partners, is initiating food systems innovation hubs in rapidly emerging markets in Africa and Asia. 
And these hubs will work to keep nutrition at the center stage of food innovation in the context of a robust entrepreneurial culture, which we see in Africa. Thank you so much, Kalpana and Brida. And uh, I would like to come to you, Kalpana, on the food systems innovation hubs that you've mentioned. So uh, just quickly, can you expatiate as to what these hubs are and you know what opportunities are within these hubs that can be leveraged across the continent? Thank you, uh, Rahmat. So the innovation hubs are designed to provide resources for agri-food SMEs, for example. And one of the services that we already offer is through an innovation competition we call the Elevator Pitch Contest, where we highlight innovative companies, showcase their models through all of our global networks, provide technical and business advice through the jury, and facilitate connections across ecosystem actors, including industry, academia, and the public sector. And depending upon the country readiness, these hubs could be either virtual or physical spaces, and they offer shared services to reduce R&D costs and time to market or scale. For example, some of the services that we are currently in the progress of visualizing are Flavors Application Lab, nutritional ingredients that can be bought at affordable prices, especially by the SMEs, nutritional assessments, testing laboratories, field film friendly diagnostics, packaging innovation to prolong shelf life of processed foods, effective distribution and storage solutions. There could also be food processing centers of excellence, consumer research, marketing services, and more. So we see these food systems innovation hubs as enablers of a broader purpose, serving both short and medium term development goals for a country. For example, job creation, increased access to infrastructure, knowledge, capital, and markets. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sean Kalpana, for that. And I'll come back to that in a bit. I want to go to Bridget. You know, you've mentioned how you're beginning to see new business opportunities involving the nutrition sphere. And I would like to say that this is especially true. Uh, on the Northern Africa Hub, for example, I can, I can cite some SMEs that are in that sphere, like Startright Nutrition in Ghana, Real Fruits in August Secrets in Nigeria, and so on. But the thing is, we need more examples of these interventions out there. And you have also mentioned some statistics regarding nutrition. So I'd like to dwell more around that. So what does the data say regarding the use of food systems innovation to scale up nutrition across the globe, especially in Africa? I mean, where are we at? Where do we need to go? Yeah, so I'm really glad you've you've asked this question um, because it's a really important one. But unfortunately, we don't have the answer, I think, that we would like here with regards to data that shows the, the real impacts. Um, Kalpana will definitely take you through some fantastic examples of what we see happening in Africa. But the reality is um, we have this plethora of papers and policy guidelines on what we need to do to transform the food systems. For example, we have, we have the high-level panel of experts on nutrition and food systems report. We have the Global Panel on Agriculture and Food Systems for Nutrition Foresight um, Report, and also Global Nutrition Documents, just to name a few. But so what we do know is the what, but we don't have a lot of information on the how. And I think it's this how part that's essential if we're to begin to see a different food system emerge. Um, but in saying that, what we've seen in Sight and Life is that as we talk to farmers, 
young people, entrepreneurs, SMEs, owners, all working across the food system in Africa. I absolutely agree with what you, you've just said. There is innovations happening everywhere. The challenge is to share and learn from these innovations, to improve them, scale them up where we see real outcomes, and to remember that you know everything starts with a big idea and you work backwards. Taking risks and having this entrepreneurial spirit can create real change in the food systems. And Calpana can share some great stories from the entrepreneurial journey that we've taken at Sight and Life. And I, I also think this is where the Food Systems Innovations Hub is key. It's about bringing together and joining the dots of all of these great innovations and learning that's happening that we all can have access to them. And that's a huge part of potentially a, an online virtual uh, Food Systems Innovations Hub. So maybe Kapana can share some innovation examples in, in Africa. Yes, yes, and we see uh, we see some very promising food systems innovations in Africa. I'll share three examples. First, uh, we've become very good at leveraging the power of the sun. The cost of solar technology has drastically dropped. We now have a range of product solar product providers to choose from, and we also see innovative business models that are emerging, which are proven and ready for scale. For an example uh, is the pay-per-use business model for solar cold storage of fruits and vegetables. Our entrepreneur partner in Kenya, Solar Freeze, has a few eye-popping numbers to share. The farmer pays as little as 10 US cents to per crate per day to, to store his fruits or vegetables in the storage unit. And, it was, and as a result, can extend the perishables, their shelf life period, by three to five times, depending upon the type of produce. And for the solar unit to be financially viable and make it a lucrative proposition for the solar, for the smallholder farmer, our entrepreneur Solar Freeze has integrated mobile technology and temperature sensors in these units to monitor the units remotely, maintain the supply chain, and manage payments from farmers by reducing a lot of the back-end manpower costs and saving time. As a result, one unit in one village takes only about 18 months to become viable. A second uh, innovation that we see is the fortification technology. As you know that for most of the population, starchy staples, which lack the vital nutrients, form a major portion of the diet. We now have very simple technologies that can add the essential vitamins and minerals during the processing of cereals, whether it is at a small mill or at a large mill. And this process that we call staple food fortification is at the verge of becoming a tectonic moment in Africa. And third example, it's the small but mighty insects for livestock feed. 70% of the cost of production of eggs for example, is the cost of the feed itself. Out of, and in this feed, the protein component that comes mainly from soybeans or fish meal is very expensive. Whereas insects require very little land or energy to produce, and they can be produced quickly and all year round, unlike soybeans. And the wild caught fish or fish meal are often used as aquaculture inputs, and replacing them with insects makes aquaculture a sustainable solution to overfishing. We now have modular, smaller, efficient technologies to process insect feed. 
In fact, Kenya is the first country to have set standards for the use of insects in poultry feed. And in conclusion, what we are trying to say is that we see a lot of potential in Africa. What we need for these innovations to scale is patient capital. These are investors who are willing to tolerate some unpredictability in returns. And we need a platform for innovators to find the right partners, which we hope the innovation hubs would be able to provide. Thank you so much, Karpena, for those awesome examples. And I do agree with you, a platform where these innovators can connect with each other and be able to access opportunities that can help them to scale their various interventions is really important. And I'd like to say that Nourishing Africa Hub has a lot of these interventions, these entrepreneurs already, and it's actually a wonderful opportunity that we're here right now discussing this topic and Sight and Life Foundation and Nourishing Africa can definitely, you know, push forward this agenda to ensure that these niche innovators can actually access the opportunities that they can use to scale their various innovative business models. And so I would like to tie this up by asking what can be done. You know, we've talked about the various challenges, we've identified some opportunities and even some you know, use cases across the continent. But what are the roles of the various stakeholders and what are the roles of agri-food SMEs themselves? Thanks, Rahma, for bringing up agri-food SMEs. They are a critical uh, component in our food systems. You know, agri-food SMEs, whether they are food producers, ingredient companies, whether they are technology or logistics companies, or whether wherever they are placed in the food value chain, upstream or downstream, Together, all of these SMEs collectively can have eight transformative outcomes in our food systems. And these outcomes can range from developing nutritious safe foods, increasing their supply and access to even the most vulnerable. You can create, they can create demand for nutritious foods that are tasty, affordable, and aspirational. They can foster livelihoods, especially for the millions of smallholders in Africa. They can support government in setting standards for safe and nutritious foods. They can improve monitoring and testing of foods through simple effective technologies. They can develop markets and categories which enable further investment in the country and thus contribute to the country's progress. And finally, and most importantly, SMEs can sustain biodiversity in their countries through the use of local and heritage crops or breeds. Yeah, and if, if I can just add um, a little bit to what Kalpana has said around the role of other stakeholders, because this is something that we are also super passionate about in, in Sight and Life, um, engaging all of the actors in the food system. Um, I'm sure you, like I, have heard the word transformation used a lot when it comes to the food system. But it's really clear that transformation in the food system will not happen by working with just one government or one organization or one company or agricultural expert or nutrition expert, for example. We have to start to think outside the box. It will only happen through this broad engagement with all actors across the food system. And of course, you know, that requires many uncomfortable conversations, frustrating exchanges, arguments, debates. But without this engagement, I honestly feel we might as well all uh, give up now. You know, as a public health nutritionist, I know little about food production technologies, for example, and how they might revolutionize how we deliver healthy food to consumers. But I understand nutrition needs in a population, particularly in Africa, 
and I understand what you need to put into a product to make it more nutritious. So we need this broad engagement. We need the private sector, particularly a north-south sharing of technologies. We need consumer insights organizations who can help us understand how to create demand for more nutritious foods. We need government support. We need impact investors, farmers, entrepreneurs, scientists, the policy specialists. I can go on. But the, the key thing is here, we need to start engaging and talking outside our comfort zone and working across the food system and not within our, our own silos. Thank you so much, Bridget and Kalpana. You've shared these awesome insights as to what roles the different stakeholders need to play. And these are really critical, I must agree. Uh, but then I'll bounce back to the agri-food SMEs. That's because Nourishing Africa is majorly you know, focused on these agri-food SMEs. And now that we're discussing nutrition and food innovation, it's really critical that we are able to highlight some specific resources and opportunities that agri-food SMEs across the continent can leverage to tap into this opportunity for food resistance innovations. So if you could just highlight some of these opportunities and resources that they can leverage wherever they are, be it in Rwanda, in Tanzania, in South Africa, Eswatini. Yes, so the innovation hubs uh, are designed to provide shared services. So as a result, uh, we expect a lot of cross-pollination of ideas, but also, but also partnerships between SMEs to be able to scale within the region, but also outside of the region across Africa. And when you have such economies of scale through this aggregation of agri-food SMEs, you can expect commercial investors to pull in and support the scaling up of their solutions. And in the interim, what we need to do in the interim till, the, till we reach a critical uh, mass to scaling, in the interim, what we need to do is we need to draw in uh, philanthropic uh, partners. We also need to draw in public and private partnerships who are really patient with uh, market returns, but also because the primary goal is to have a social or an environmental impact. And the secondary goal, goal is economic, um, economic sustainability. So I think in conclusion, um, what we would like to encourage all the champions of resilient, nutritious food innovations in Africa and for Africa is to stay hungry and to stay foolish. And it's a quote that was made popular by Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple. So stay hungry means that never be satisfied and always push yourself. And stay foolish means people may call you foolish while taking unconventional decisions, but don't let it affect you and you must, you must follow your dreams. Thank you so much, Karpana. That's an awesome way to close out this podcast. And it is true, when we're talking about innovation generally, you know, being hungry for knowledge has brought on several innovations across the world right now. And that's where we need to go. That's where we need to be in terms of food systems innovation. And I would like to thank you, Karpana and Brida, for the awesome insights that you've shared in this podcast. I believe that our agri-food SME members and the Nourishing Africa Home and indeed other stakeholders out there have now been thoroughly informed as to where to go next when it comes to nutrition and food systems innovation in their various regions and countries. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, our listeners, again, for listening to us on this episode of the Nourishing Africa Podcast. Do join us next time. Bye-bye.